0: It is such a very great pleasure to welcome Ambassador's distinguished guests, uh, to welcome her this afternoon and to have the opportunity, as it is, of meeting again with representatives of small island developing states and low-lying coastal states and communities, and thus having the opportunity of building on conversations we have had already in New York last year. Of further deepening the bonds between our island nations. And I do want to thank all of you who have travelled to Dublin this afternoon. And as I have just said in our own language, I wish you a hearty welcome, and especially to those uh, for whom it is their first visit to to Ireland. It is surely helpful to think of our world as a collection of related communities, of peoples celebrated, of peoples... (coughs) It is surely helpful to think of our world as a collection of related communities, of people separated and at the same time connected by our vast oceans and our great continents. All of us are interconnected, voluntarily or involuntarily, sharing our humanity, our terrible failings, but also our great potential for good and, of course, now our innate fragility on what is an ever more perilous planet. And speaking then as an islander, in a room of islanders, I believe that our experience as islanders defines us, not just in physical, geographical terms, but in the geography of mind, of our communities, our societies, our political outlooks, of how we see and relate to the world beyond our coastal horizons. And thus, Ireland finds it easy to understand the specific challenges that an island context and existence brings. Island life and proximity to the sea has historically created a special form of vulnerability of contact that has left island communities and low-lying coastal communities open to not only the forces of nature but to the ravages of expansionist and acquisitive empires. And while some arrivals have been benign, many were of exploitative or dominating purpose. Many of the island nations that you represent, like our own, have learned through often and unrelenting harsh experience that what comes from foreign shores can be the source of danger and unwelcome attention. Today, the shared island experience is happening within a context of a financialized global economy with its specific pressures, threats that are now perilous from climate change and which are largely sourced and water described as developed countries. Many of us have been the victims of colonialism and still carry its legacy and the challenges that it brings, but island peoples are now bearing new reconfigured versions of that legacy of colonisation. This new circumstance has been recognised well and is borne out in valuable island insights, such as, for example, that of the Minister of Finance, Economic Planning, Sustainable Development and Information Technology, in St Vincent and the Grenadines, Camilo M. Gonsalves. In his book Globalised, Climatized, Stigmatised, is powerful demonstration as to how islands are inherently more vulnerable in a new set of challenges, and economic environment is a presentation of issues that cannot be ignored and must be addressed. And I I, I pause to congratulate Saint Vincent and the Grenadines on their election last Friday, a very welcome one uh, here to the Security <laughs> Council. In making reference to Minister Camilo González's uh, uh, book, in facing these challenges to which he makes reference, I very strongly believe that a shared, concerted, determined strategy within the multilateral institutions and in diplomatic practice can be a vital tool. For one could not do but be deeply moved by his clear refutable presentation of the consequences of broken promises on the part of institutions in which nations had placed trust, of multilateral obligations avoided or commitments reduced to rhetoric. It cannot be denied that so much of our insatiable, accelerating and unregulated economic growth is primarily for the benefit of the North in development terms, and that this is, at a wider level, creating havoc and destruction through a climate change that is impacting on the lives of those who are the least contributors to our climate crisis, but who are its most proximate victims. Such a set of circumstances are sometimes presented as unavoidable, some kind of inevitable results of global markets over which control is impossible. Such a view, of course, when one thinks about it, sets democracy itself at global level into tension with the role of the market as a mechanism. It suggests a cage within which we are trapped as peoples. The multilateral voice must, as Gonsalves put it, be required to acknowledge that island states played little role in constructing the cage we now inhabit. I agree with this view, We must, all north and south of our shared vulnerable planet, muster the courage to free ourselves from the cage of those narrow assumptions of a destructively limited version of economics that has condemned us to such insufficient action. We must expose and oppose the obdurate continuation of what has been shown to be unsustainable. We must resist any evasion or quietism, for should we not respond, and with urgency and craft, we will be correctly regarded by future survivors on our planet as having been in collusion in the destruction of the lives and life worlds of some of the most vulnerable peoples of our human family and the biodiversity on which our planetary life in all its fullness depends. And island nations are of necessity, perhaps outward looking, interested in the world beyond, in its promises and in its dangers, taking to sea. And yes, their culture emphasises a warm welcome for stranger. This value placed on hospitality is understandable perhaps amongst people who are familiar with setting sail themselves across oceans to new destinations of appreciating a welcome when they come ashore. And there is a realization among Islanders, I believe, from their literature and lived experience, that the world is something that is encountered closer to us than our maps and charts might suggest. That what happens thousands of miles away will have its say. Will have its say much closer to home, as John Donne most famously put it 400 years ago, about only one of the regions of our connected world. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clot be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. And, of course, it was 400 years ago, so therefore you can know the gender misuse is, in fact, it it tells its own story. From such an insight comes a version of interdependency that is the very antithesis of any forced exploitative interconnection, be it historic or contemporary, be it of extractive industries, resources, or trade. Acknowledging such an interdependency creates an ethical, normative obligation on international policy and diplomatic practice. We are now interdependent and reliant on each other in a new way, one of not only a shared but a deeper vulnerability, as we are called upon to deal with the threats to the very future of life on our planet. We have undeniable impacts on each other's environments and communities, and we have an effect by our actions and practices on each other's capacities, not in any terms merely of human flourishing, but of possibilities for very existence itself. In reality, it might be useful at this point in human history for us not to consider ourselves, because we are islands or, or continental nations, as cut off by oceans from each other, but rather as sharing a fragile space, as vulnerable inhabitants of island Earth, a global community that is struggling for the capacity to reflect on what we, are, what we are leaving as legacy to future generations, and make the changes that are necessary. For inaction is not an option. It will be a great failure if our response is to acquiesce with, is to acquiesce with, or settle for a resile to a rehearsal of old prejudices based on nationalities, religions, races, or of power and aggression. A much deeper sense of our common humanity, an invocation of hope and authentic commitment is needed if we are to create an engaged consciousness of the impact of our present policies and practices, such as will drive, a global acknowledgement of our shared vulnerabilities, our kinship to each other, In the common threats we face if we are to achieve such a realisation as might allow us to transcend all barriers and boundaries. Together we have to repair the often broken and dysfunctional relationships that exist across lands and seas, the results of destructive social and economic practices that saw nature and resources that might have been for renewal as something that constituted an infinite mine for insatiable extraction. Our task is now so urgent, in light of the existential threat facing humankind, in terms of the climate change and biodiversity crises, that it now requires a coordinated global response. You have been having your important meetings, and we are all here today because we believe in our interconnectedness, in our closeness, not our distance from each other. We accept that we are bound together and that the often manipulated spaces between us are illusory, often a construct that is imposed and which is dwarfed relative to all that we share. What we share, experience, empathy, a common voice as islanders we should inherently understand and respond to the immutability of that which binds us our shared humanity must become our motivation for understanding and be our bulwark against the consequences of the destructive course on which we have seen on which we have <coughs> which we have seen released during in particular the past 3 centuries of the anthropocene A sense of justice not only for now but for the future requires that our residual sense of a shared humanity must be invoked to reconnect our lives through a balanced relationship between ecology, ethics, economy, culture and lived experience. As a head of state as President of Ireland who has been speaking of these topics, I realise how difficult it is to get a space for this discourse, how unhelpful it is for those who suggest that that which prevails at the present time is somehow our only mode of existence, this fractured life. And it is depressing that lessons from history, fundamental to coexistence in our planet, have not only been too often been forgotten or allowed to fade, but they are treated with a lazy disregard, or are consciously hidden from us. They are, so too rarely, they are so rarely present in the discourses, or in even the very academies and institutions, in which trust has been placed by populations for enlightened critical thought, pluralism or method. There has to be a space. And a great form where we can transcend self interest, engage with the other, and the United Nations has been our best effort at achieving such a space. The United Nations, whatever its shortcomings, has for more than 70 years been a beacon of values, a platform for us to come together to share perspectives and principles. Our discourse, when we've had an opportunity of sharing our experiences with authenticity and respect for difference, has been able to be informed by hope, has sought to elevate the universal, sought to reject the false fragmentation of a common humanity. And such progress as has been made, has been hard won, and I think any easy pursuit of our new issues should not be taken for granted, as fixed, as in our time, a new Cold War rhetoric is renewed, and multilateral institutions are increasingly threatened and starved of resources. Unfortunately, today we see our very universality of commitment to sharing our response to, great, to the, our greatest challenges is under attack. We are experiencing a resile to narrow versions of sovereignty, extreme theories of interest in diplomacy, and rejections of previously agreed common purpose. Suggestions of shared sovereignty are often responded to with the pejorative suggestion that sharing sovereignty is somehow contrary to democracy. We can, of course, alternatively choose to share, to share sovereignty and indeed deepen democracy. And our language itself is often corrupted. We are living with the consequences of what has been a concerted effort to make democracy and freedoms synonyms for an unrestrained, unregulated version of capitalism. And the will of the people has been grotesquely, def- has been defined grotesquely as some abstract, aggregated will of the insatiable person. Human rights, which have traditionally been correctly sourced, centered, on the eye on the rights of the person that must be protected irrespective of religion, ethnicity, gender, or other categorizations used for so long to define our existence, are in a clear abuse of philosophical and moral principles, sometimes presented as somehow or another being inherently in opposition to wider social rights. A new agenda of eco-social gendered political economy can be made to prevail if we are willing to work and unite for it. We have done so before, coming together for greater purpose. Not 2015 was a year of enormous significance for the United Nations and the people who are within its membership. The 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development was agreed with a consensus of 193 nations under the United st- Stewardship and with the assistance, for example, of Ireland and Kenya which, let us remind ourselves, was aimed at achieving nothing less than the transformation of our fossil fuel-dependent world by the year 2030. The Paris Climate Agreement similarly identified a pathway to protect our planet, mapping a way forward to its sustainability. These were landmark achievements, representing a vital step towards a sustainable future. And it is critical now that we do not allow these steps taken on this journey which the representatives of the people of the world undertook to falter almost before it has begun. Rather, instead, that we continue to work together as one global community that accepts responsibility for the future, that we renew our commitment to put in place a strong and unified global response to the threat of climate change. Within that unity, there can, be a force, be a specific instrument, a unity of cooperating island voices at diplomatic level. That voice at the United Nations can be a shared resource, made more powerful by its collective strength and application, one that is resistant to any inducement to split apart. Yes, of course... There have been disappointments since 2015. The United States has signalled its highly regressive intention to withdraw from the Paris Agreement, which could take effect in November 2020. But we must remember that 195 UNFCCC members have signed the agreement, of which 185 have become party to it. Member States representing some 85% of global greenhouse gas emissions. It is important, I believe, in making our renewed commitment to recognise and respond to the specific vulnerability which characterises your Islands and coastal communities experience. Going back to Gonsalves again, he reminds us, there are 33 independent small Island States that enjoy membership in the United Nations. Collectively, they are home to 40 million people and have a gross domestic product of $650 billion. These rough measures of financial weight, population and economic power point to a need for greater study, analysis and understanding of small island states as seen through their own eyes and the prism of their own unique circumstances our exceptional in nature. May I therefore thank all of you gathered in this room this afternoon for your efforts in striving to sustain such an ambition. Small island developing states and low-lying coastal communities, which you represent, I acknowledge, are giving leadership on the international stage in making sure that we will all deliver on our commitments and on our global responsibilities. And this then is the year in which we must move to our work On the implementation arrangements of the Paris Agreement. And may I assure you that Ireland stands with you in recognizing the broader moral authority of small island developing states, whose very existence is threatened should we fail to respond collectively, as we work to build on the progress achieved since Paris in the climate summits held in Poland, Germany and Morocco. Ireland and the Marshall Islands will be co-chairing a session at the Climate Summit in New York this September. The Marshall Islands, of course, have played a significant role in highlighting the climate crisis, thanks to figures like the late Tony de Brum, the Marshall Islands minister and political activist, whom I had the great privilege of meeting and who sadly passed away almost two years ago. De Bruyne spoke with an impressive urgency and understandable passion on climate change, and he participated in numerous conferences and demonstrations, including the People's Climate March in New York City in September 2014. But a structure, the process of identifying the transformational initiatives for the summit, nine independent tracks have been defined. And I am delighted to inform you that the Youth and Mobilisation track will be led by the Marshall Islands and Ireland, with the support of the United Nations Secretary-General's on Youth, and will focus on mobilising youth and civil society in support of the UN Climate Summit in December, and will seek to achieve a significant youth participation across all tracks. For over 60 years at the United Nations, and for decades before retaining membership, Ireland has sought to speak with this resonant tone, first as a nation state taking its place among the nations of the world, but more recently with an assertiveness driven by the need to defend, the value of building unanimity and respect, driven by the understanding that all voices must be respected, as the Charter assumes, as equal members, and stressing that often in the history of the United Nations, it has been in population terms the smallest voices, which have been the ones that have performed as disinterested partners in advancement of the common good. I suggest that the United Nations flourishes when such voices are heard and given prominence. And we also are called upon to be authentic. A United Nations that privileges the strong and neglects the weak betrays, after all, its own founding principles. A United Nations, for example, that confined the moral purpose of its charter to discussions and decisions at the General Assembly, and then went on ignoring such voices of the world to define its purpose narrowly as being content with some underlaborer role of mediating the frequent abuses of the powerful on the Security Council. We together must all save the United Nations from such a fate of impotence. All of the initiatives I have spoken about are ones that can be taken at every level, including regionally, and for us here in Ireland, membership of the European Union has provided us with an opportunity to give voice to our global views. The European Union, born out of the ravages of war and conflict, we believe, has the opportunity to offer the value of a new type of shared sovereignty on these new and urgent issues, which embraces unity and shows that nations can become stronger through partnership and cooperation, not weaker, as together we share advances through education and by sharing regarding shared knowledge and skills as a shared currency. But it must be open to the new radical voices that require fundamental change. This is also how Ireland perceives the United Nations, a vision that I believe is shared by all of you in this room today. For example, it was the United Nations that provided the platform for Ireland to help bring together so many when championing the Nuclear Test Ban Treaty in 1963. It was the United Nations that has facilitated small nations such as ours in playing a significant role in building sustainable peace through the efforts of our women and men serving in peacekeeping missions worldwide. And when the United Nations turns its focus on creating a transformative agenda, as it did through the Sustainable Development Goals four years ago, Member States such as Ireland were called upon to give a lead and small but principled nations such as ours and yours have the ability to work together to build consensus and support based on identifying the collective good and rising above any narrow priorities based on self-interest or impulses to dominate, control a discourse. It must, after all, the discourse must be the discourse of the many, respected as equals. And Ireland will always value how the United Nations brings out what is best in us. We will therefore continue to seek opportunities to test ourselves against what we aspire to be, including the requirements of a new paradigm that combines ecology, social justice and economy. These are the values that make the driving force behind Ireland's candidature for the United Nations Security Council for the 2021-2022 term. We do not seek the support of the nations of the world to progress any narrow version of enlightened self-interest. We seek support for the opportunity to again be measured against aspiration, the ideals of the Charter, and our ability to contribute and help shape progressive societies that are seeking to achieve equality, deepen democracy, and do so with a shared purpose and practice. Now, I understand that your time here in Ireland has included visits to our Ocean Wealth Summit, as well as SeaFest 2019, both in Cork, our Second City, although some will reject that. (laughs) These events will have provided an opportunity to accumulate knowledge of, in particular, our marine resources and practices and what we face, and to consider linkages that we can make deeper under all the dimensions of sustainable development, be it in environment, society and economy. The future of our oceans and islands has a special importance in environmental terms if we are to mitigate and adapt to climate change, extreme weather events, sea level rises – and deal with the horrifying increases in ocean contaminants such as plastics. It is of the utmost importance, then too, to contemplate the ocean's roles in our lives and the social functions it makes possible and provides within societies, including cultural learning and a tourism that is marine-related but ecologically responsible. And with regard to economy, we must together do things in a new way, including how we can best, and with responsibility, foster and enable the renewal of the potential of our ocean wealth, the so-called blue economy, in a sustainable manner. Many aspects of Ireland's integrated marine development strategy may have been of interest to you, I hope so, as were those aspects related to ocean mapping, use of data for marine development, marine resource management, and capacity building, and all directed at sustainability. Ireland, you will have heard, is a supporter of regulation. Within our 200-mile limit, we have 2,000 Irish-registered fishing vessels and over 200 approved seafood processing establishments. Hearing the perspectives, this is the most important, Hearing the perspectives from yourselves of small island developing states will, I know, have been very important to Irish participants, and I hope I think I am nearly sure that they have listened with the appropriate sense of urgency, as all of our times demand. For there is such a strong role for ongoing partnership as we seek to explore areas for further cooperation where Irish experience merges with yours on all of these ancient issues that I've mentioned. And you, I know, will have added many other issues of your own, including the assistance you might expect in defending, monitoring and sustaining your own legally acknowledged marine resources. There is a saying again in our own Irish language, It means that we all live together in each other's shadow and in each other's shelter. And John Donne knew this, whom I've quoted earlier, for he concluded that poem, No Man is an Island, with the following lines. Again, I apologize for the gender in advance, but it was four hundred years ago. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never sent to know for whom the bell tolls it tolls for thee. And may I wish you all, fellow islanders, a further enjoyable and fruitful visit to our island, May it be both challenging and enriching and helpful to you in equal measure. And may you visit in future meetings, and we will have many, I hope, go on to develop and enhance the linkages between our island peoples as we continue to work together in playing a strong role as we tackle the enormous challenges of transformation that are facing us in the coming decades, but in which we can be successful if we work together with one voice. Got a meal Mahaki. Thank you.